hidden behind closed doors. This is Period Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. Jason, what movie are we talking about? We are going to talk about 1956, The Girl Can't Help It, starring Jane Mansfield. Michael, what are we going to be drinking? I picked a very special beer. It's from our good friends at Santa Monica Brew Works. This is the 310 California Blondale, in honor of Miss Jane Mansfield, who is the blonde buxom star, the bombshell of this film. Good choice. This is this is a great beer. It's a, it's a blonde ale. I like to call it yard work beer. They're light, easy. This is a, there's a little sweetness. Fan. I'm a fan of the style because you know sometimes you can't always be drinking sours or you know these huge beers. It's nice just to kick back, and this is a kickback beer. Absolutely. Like if you're on the beach listening to a ball game, you know a cooler of these, and you're well on your way. It has a great How taste. Like I like it. It's a beautiful like straw color. Like I said, Blondales have yep. to be a very specific thing. They go down smooth. Now we've been I've been out to Santa Monica Brew Works with you before. Yes. A fan, I'm a regular there. They do some great work, great out, outdoor facilities. Currently they're Santa Monica's only working brewery. So. We had, I remember we had a good time. We actually took the mass transportation out there. The, uh. Yeah, if, you, if you're in the L.A. area, the train will drop you off like a block or two from from the place. So because, I mean, sometimes you go to a brewery, you know, driving is probably not what you should do when you leave. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> if, but, you're, if you're doing it right. <laughs> okay, you picked this. This this is described as a musical. Yes. I want you to tell me because when you told me about this, I mean, in my head, I don't think of B-movies as musicals. So why did you pick this, and why is it a B-movie? The answer is kind of a combination of two of them. We have a couple books here about the history of B-movies. I came across a reference to it, particularly when it talked about teens, and it had a small musical section. And then I always do a little research online, and I saw a, you know one website that also mentioned it as a B-movie. I think you can make an argument that doesn't exactly fit in. It was a $1.5 million budget. It seems to be more of a cult movie. In terms of musical, right, it's listed as a musical comedy. When you think musical, Michael... I mean, you think your classic singing in the rain. When people in everyday life suddenly do a song and dance number that nobody does in real life. Whereas this is... It's basically like this very loose plot that is just a vehicle to get us to the next musical performance. It's a showcase for all of these young rock and roll acts. That's the perfect answer it's a showcase and, and it's I, great and exactly i tried to explain to my girls i i said you don't have mtv yeah. i would say in the 50s when there was no mtv so either you saw a band at a live concert you heard them on the radio the only other way to see them was maybe if they showed up in an early tv show or in a movie and this movie is just a showcase of a lot of early bands that laid the foundation for rock and roll music also the reason that it was kind of a B-movie is the director, producer, and co-writer of the script was Frank Tashlin. And he started out as a cartoon animator. And he worked for Warner Brothers. He worked for Disney for two years. He illustrated a couple, quotation mark, children's books. And then he moved into comedy script writing. And he wrote scripts and produced, directed uh, items for Bob Hope, Jerry Lewis, Lucille Ball. He worked at Hal Roach Studios for Lowell and Hardy. I think this movie is very cartoonish. When you, I wish I had known this before you told me today. Because after you told me this guy's past where he started in animation, this film, it came into focus a little more where it is a, a, a cartoon. 
There are so many cartoonish aspects. I mean, from Jane Mansfield, the way they dress her, an hourglass doesn't do justice to what her figure looks like in these dresses. It's it looks like a cartoon. A lot of and the characters are cartoons. And every time we mention Jane's Mansfield, I'm gonna drink a, a sip of this blonde ale. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> we've got two 19 ounce cans. Thank you so much, Santa Monica Brew Works. Yes, um, thank you. But yeah, there is. If you did a drinking game with anything doing to do with Jane Mansfield, so, jokes about her yeah. figure or anything, by the end of this movie, you would be blind <laughs> drunk. And speaking of Jane's Mansfield, this was supposed to be a vehicle for her. At the time, Marilyn Monroe, who was in, under contract with 20th Century Fox, who produced this film, they were having, quote-unquote, trouble. Marilyn Monroe was having some issues, and they were having issues with her. So they got Jane Mansfield, very similar type, buxom blonde. I mean, she had a good career, but this was not the big thing. What everybody thinks about with this movie is the musical acts. Because you do. you got Gene Vinci, Eddie Cochran, Fats Domino. I mean, it, Little Richard, and you know, it goes on and on. This movie is hugely influential, whether you like it or not. This movie is important because of the music and how these bands laid the foundation, and how other bands that came along afterwards, these musicians, this was their first chance to see them. And James Mansfield, I just want to point out, you know, she she had a very similar career to Marilyn Monroe. She did appear in Playboy in in February '55, and she was. Um, I think each February from, from that point till the end of the 50s, she appeared in the magazine. And her career, as we know, was cut short by an accident. She had five kids, and her daughter, Mariska Hargitay, yep. plays a little bit on Law & Order. I think that's... SV, it's at, Law & Order SVU, SV, I believe. Yes, ex- exactly. All right. Going forward, spoiler alert. We've been remiss on that. So <laughs> from this point on, if you don't want to know what happens in this movie, you might want to turn it off. But don't. <laughs> but come back. Yes. <laughs> so, so, come back for the wrap-up. <laughs> so spoil, spoilers are coming. The opening credits, we have Tom Mule, the actor, come out as himself, saying, this is a movie about music. So he breaks that fourth wall. He t- basically says, I will be playing a agent, a music agent named Tom. Our story is about music uh, that expresses the culture, refinement, and polite grace of today. The music switches from being this cinematic orchestral, orchestral yes, yeah. music to this rock. It's Little Richard. And at the same time, he's saying, where we shot this in deluxe color, plus we shot in cinemascope, and he pushes out the edges of the, your view. Very cartoon Absolutely. After you said that, I went, I believe I've seen Bugs Bunny do that. Exactly. Bugs Bunny does. He addresses <laughs> us, and he'll like... Push the screen so it gets bigger. But it's a fantastic open. Breaks the fourth wall, so we know we're just in for a good laugh. Yes. We're in for some fun. Then little Richard comes out. If you can't if you're not moving a little bit listening to this, I think you're dead. Yeah. Because it is just this great song. And the the credits have these kids all dancing, young people dancing in the in the young people way that they did then that was probably, you know, scandalous yeah. to the old folks. Then we jump into, we get to see Tom in the film. He's not addressing us anymore. Now we're into the world of the film. And he's a guy, right off the bat, we kind of get his down on his luck. And he likes to drink. Yeah, Tom is an alcoholic. (laughs) And I think they poke jokes at this throughout this movie. They kind of toss it aside like it's a funny gag. Like, oh, you get blind drunk every night. A couple of things that probably wouldn't go over very well today is the jokes about his drinking, the jokes about alcoholism... 
and the constant referencing to Jane Mansfield's figure and the fact that she is a beautiful blonde woman. There's a drink. <laughs> I actually, I got. I think I have to get my next one. <laughs> he is a down on his luck talent agent who had a reputation. People did trust him. And he gets a call. People know, like in this movie, once again, this is a cartoon. People know how to reach people. He gets a call at this club. And, of course, at first he kind of brushes it off. But once they point out that the address he needs to go is to Park Avenue, he's like, yeah, 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 I I could be there. Yeah. And there's a lot of these, like you said, cartoonish moments where, you, like, as soon as they say Park Avenue, you almost expect, like, the cartoon, like, he, the phone goes flying out. Yeah. And he's like, whoa, Park <laughs> Avenue. So, of course he goes. And there we meet Marty Fats Murdoch. He, we come to learn, was a gangster who, once again, was famous at a point in time. And he is watching old newsreel, and he invites... Tom to come in and sit and watch these newsreels where basically these newsreels are his story. <laughs> Such a shortcut to storytelling. Real quick, his right-hand man is named Mousy, and he's an actor named Henry Jones. He was in Arachnophobia, The Grifters. He's one of those guys that you know. You recognize his face. His the face, whole time he, I'm he like, did, I've seen that guy. And, and if you look at his IMDb page, it was like he was in pretty much every television show. Fats brought Tom there for a reason because... He used to be able to get the Canaries. Yes. He's, he's, and Edmund O'Brien, I got. I just have to, real quick, I'm not going to bash on the guy too much. The more I watch this, his acting style was like so cartoonish and yep. over the top, it kind of just started driving me a little nuts. He did. That character did. And I want to point out, we covered Edmund O'Brien when we did Ida Lupino's The Hitchhiker. And, fantastic. and he was fantastic as Collins in that. It was, this is such a different role. Only a couple of years separated. This is very cartoonish. Those newsreels point out Fats Murdoch, his nemesis, is a person named Legs Wheeler. And it's because of Wheeler that he ended up in jail and then lost all his fame. The newsreels were hilarious. One of the newsreels I'm going to quote says, He put on weight making whoopee with European bathing booties. Nice going, Fats. I'm like, what newsreel does? <laughs> yeah, the newsreels were way before yeah. our time. Yeah. My feeling was it was, you know, just giving you some news, yeah. usually about a war. It's like, oh, the boys are over there and they're doing this. You know, they weren't like singling out ex-gangsters <laughs> to take shots. Like I said, whoopee. I mean, to, to I fat like... shaming, fat shaming ex-gangsters. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. I was kind of like, hey, enough of this. Let's get to Jane Mansfield and address <laughs> Let's let's do it. I'm going to have another drink. <laughs> and he knows a lot about Tom. He does. And he chose Tom because Tom did have a good reputation. As Michael, you said, he didn't mess with the Canaries. He was known to be very professional with the talent he managed. And he knows that Tom is now on the downside of his career. And therefore, he could really convince him on his scheme, which is to turn... Jane Mansfield. Drink. Drink. <laughs> into a star. He's sort of taking advantage of somebody who's in a vulnerable position. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's what a criminal does. So that, that makes sense. He says, I got this girl and I want you to make her a star. And Tom's like, I've heard this before. Behind him, a door opens and there's Jane Mansfield in this dress that's like hugging. Sparkling. Boy. Yeah. James Mansfield. Yeah. <laughs> boy, oh boy. It's going to be a long one. But he's telling fast. He's like, I've heard this before. He's like, and I'm going to have to tell her she's no good. And it's just, I'm not going to do this fast. And then all of a sudden he turns around and he's like, 
inches away from Jane Mansfield in this revealing dress. Again, the cartoon wolf going, ooh, and my eyes bursting. His out. hand is shaking with his glass <laughs> <Exactly>. of scotch. <laughs> so, I mean, he's like, I'm going to take the gig. Fats wants Tom to turn her into a singing sensation in six weeks. He says a star. Yeah. I don't think he specifically says a singing sensation. That's true. I don't think he was ever specific about what. He just, he just makes her, her famous. Yes. They went singing because it's a rock and roll movie. Immediately, Tom proves why you probably shouldn't hire him anymore. Because the first thing he does when he gets some money is he goes back to that club and gets ripped like stumbling drunk. And really, that is only to showcase Johnny Olin, who's singing My Idea of Love, and then his other song, I Ain't Gonna Cry No More. Johnny Olin was one of these people in the 50s. He had this career. He made a couple movies. He was he was played in Las Vegas. He played in Bakersfield. They kind of fought the, the scene a little bit. I think he's one of the few musicians, so I think right now he's still alive. He's in the Rockabilly Hall of Fame. That's where I grabbed some of his bio. And in the 80s, particularly Europe, really liked his music. And he had another couple record deals in the 80s, predominantly touring through Europe. It was basically just to showcase Johnny Olin singing. That was it. (laughs) Because he walks into the club and says, I want a bottle of scotch. Which is always, if you're a bartender, you're like, okay, this is a problem. And then he goes, there's a cigarette girl. Back in the day, I'm going to give you a little (laughs) history lesson. Back in the day, smoking was a regular thing, and they had what they called cigarette girls, and it was a, a, a lady who would walk around with like a large tray that would have different types of tobacco. You could buy cigarettes from her, and Tom just basically buys her whole tray, gives her money. He's like, come on, toots. There's a lot of toots and dames yes. and stuff going on in this movie. And he says, we're going to dance, and she's a dish. She is. Throws the cigarette tray aside, and they go dance. They go up dance into this, this Johnny Olin. Johnny Olin, and Tom... He's so drunk, he just falls over. And that would have been like, if I was Fats and I had any inkling this happened, I would have said, I need to review this contract. Because this guy... He's alcoholic. This guy's a no account. This guy has trouble. I bring the... The cigarette girl is key because you notice something that I missed watching this movie several times. And so the next day, it pans up over Tom's room and you see the cigarette case that the cigarette lady was holding on the floor of his room. Now it pans up to his bed. There's no one there but but Tom. The insinuation is she slept over. <laughs> and, and I'm, if I could take a quick moment. Absolutely. So this made me think it's called the Hayes Code. The Motion Picture Production Code. It was really enforced from 1934 to 1968. They basically censored themselves. Where We can't show certain things. Filmmakers had to find clever ways to show, to say, these people had sex. That is exactly what I'm sure Tashlin was doing. Couldn't show people in bed together. I mean, the most banal things that you see on television, they would be like, absolutely not. We can't say these certain words. You can't show people in bed. So they would come up with clever ways. And that cigarette tray, I would put $100 on it. That was their way of saying, Tom took the cigarette girl home with him. Absolutely. And then... Boy. Jerry, Ooh, a.k.a. Jerry. James Mansfield is playing Jane Jerry Jordan. <laughs> James Mansfield. <laughs> she, we we revisit the title song, yeah. the Little Richard song. Which it's an awesome again, song. Again, is just a great song. Did you, yeah, could you hand me another? Oh, absolutely. As we're mentioning James Mansfield, I'm uh, these, done with my first can of... <laughs> I'm tell, But it's... So it just goes down so smooth. Yeah. 4.8%. <laughs> I mean... Like you said, yard work, beach... 
if watching B movies. <laughs> B movies, absolutely. You know, if you're throwing the beanbag around, you know, <laughs> pitching the you know, playing the cornhole or something, you're out in the yard having fun. There's tasting beer and there's drinking beer. It's a hot day and I'm outside. I want to just drink a bunch of beers. James Mansfield is playing this buxom, bleached blonde character. I always associate that with the beach. And so Santa Monica being on the west side at the beach, such a good combination. Yeah, I mean, one of their lines, it's beach brood. The beach brood lifestyle. 100%. You see Jane Mansfield yeah. under an umbrella yeah. in a bathing suit, looking out at the ocean, yeah. a cooler of, of Blondales. There you go. Right there. And, and all just a bunch of guys standing around going, a wooga, a wooga. Jaws on the sand, you know. And in fact... That's what happens as she's walking to Tom's apartment. Again, Jason, the whole cartoon thing just has opened up this whole film for me. Because she's walking to Tom's apartment in this outfit. I mean, I don't know how they cinched in her waist. I don't know either. It's it's like a figure eight. I mean, it's very eye-catching. She's got high heels. And she's just doing... She knows how to swivel. Oh, yeah. She knows how to get, get the attention of fellas. And she's walking. And it's just cartoonish. And she walks by a guy who's got an ice truck because those were a thing back then. The ice just melts Melts. rapidly. It's hilarious. (laughs) She walks up the stairs. The milkman also, something that was in that day we don't have anymore, who had basically been delivering milk. The milk boils over. He is holding two bottles and it boils over. (laughs) Like it's it's insinuating something. Uh, She (laughs) she makes men's blood boil. Yes. And there's there's a wolf call at the very beginning. A person's glasses crack from looking at her. The name of the song, the name of the movie, the girl can't help it. Like she's not trying. She's just a a nice lady. She's a very sweet lady. And she walks in and Tom's in his pajamas. He's caught (laughs) off guard. And he's like, no, no, he was trying to shower. It was a strange shower. He had a towel wrapped around him in his own bathroom. <laughs> Once again, I think it has to do with your Hayes Code, where they couldn't show someone showering. We learned something about Jerry Jordan. She loves cooking, and she's really good at it. She knows he's hungover, so she makes him a little drink, because her dad used to drink. Yeah. And then she's making him an egg souffle. Six slices of toast. I noticed that like a huge thing of toast. I'm a toast man. I love eggs and toast, but I mean, there is a limit. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know about six slices. She she grew up in a, like seven brothers. She's just a sweetheart. This is what I like to do. She likes to cook. She likes to keep house. And fats just won't let her do that. And she says, I just want to be a wife, have kids, but everyone thinks I'm a sex pot. No one thinks I'm equipped for motherhood. And she's bending over and you just see Tom like nodding. Just hilarious. She says that and he's just like eye to eye with her, it's that her, Sophia, her chest. It's that 1957 Sophia Loren picture that's very famous with yes. James Mansfield. So drink. And <laughs> Sophia Loren. And when, when Jane was spilling out of her dress at this photo shoot. A little comical moment that has to do with her figure. Next scene is Jerry's coming out party. Tom is going to take her to several venues at night and she's just going to walk around because making someone a star, making someone famous is only about image. And really what this point in the movie is, it's a long showcase of great musical acts. We start off with Little Richard doing Ready Teddy and she's got it. 
And of course, it's Little just Richard. great. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, we were talking about it before. Yeah. If I had a time machine, Little Richard would be an act I would go back and see yeah. because that guy just threw down. And he was one of the first inductees in 1986 to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, he's considered someone who laid the foundation of rock and roll. He just passed away in 2020. His songs like Tutti Frutti, Long Tall Sally, Lucille, they all were in the top of the U.S. song list plus the U.S. R&B list. And all he's having to hear do is walk back and forth in this red dress that's like Jessica Rabbit, back and forth to the powder room. And that's it. And if and he says, if someone should ask you anything, just say, ask my agent. She's a quick study. And that yeah. outfit was gorgeous. That figure, I don't know how they kept her waist in. It was... I'm not afraid to say it. If she was walking by me, I would... You'd have to look. So, and, and of course, these, all the owners of the clubs... They're just drooling. Whoa! I mean, yeah, it is the Auga. And once again, it's just showcasing acts because all you're seeing is musical act, her walking back and forth, musical act. Because then we go to Eddie Fontaine, who's playing (laughs) Cool It Baby. He's most remembered from his 58 single, Nothing Shaken But the Leaves on the Tree, which was covered by the Beatles. He was some of these people who straddled acting and singing. He played Vito Fonzarelli in Happy Days, the Fonz's dad. You and, your, you and your deep dives, man. <laughs> I got I gotta up my game. Because <laughs> he got the deep dives. And, and you mentioned the Beatles. It is worth noting that John Lennon particularly was a huge fan of this movie. Yep. They were recording I don't I don't remember which album. They actually stopped recording an album because the girl can't help it was premiering for the first time on British on, television. On British television. Yeah. Cuz they had seen it at the movies when yeah. it was brought over, but and this like, was... and, and he was impressed when he met Paul McCartney. Yeah. Paul McCartney played a song yeah. by I think it was Eddie Cochran. I think so. One of the reasons this film yeah. is super important because it had such an influence on probably the most important band in popular music. And then you go on, you have Teddy uh, Randanzo and the Three Chuckles, which the Three Chuckles I just I think of can't it's such a strange name, but like uh, Teddy Randanzo they, they sing in Cinnamon Center, and he had such a career as a songwriter. And he wrote Going Out of My Head. He wrote a lot for Little Anthony and the Imperials. He wrote for Linda Ronstadt, Hurt So Bad. And then you have Abby Lincoln in Marilyn Monroe's dress from General Prefer Blonde singing Spread the Word. And she was another great jazz vocalist. Awesome. Stunning. That was a pause moment. She was I was not terribly familiar with her, yeah. but she was great I mean, singing. She, she recorded with Stan Getz. I mean, she was... And she passed away about 10 years ago. But this movie has these people in it. And probably at that time, this was your only chance to see them performing live. If you didn't go to a concert. And in 1956, they might have been popular, but they weren't. This was just starting their career. this was the beginning. This was the beginning. Just imagine all of the most popular, take like the eight most popular acts right now going today. Go back to when they were just starting and they're all in a movie together. Doing numbers. It's it's mind-blowing. I mean, there's no way you could do it. The night ends, and Jerry is dropped off, and Tom goes to one of his favorite places. When he drops her off, she addresses his drinking. Yes. She says, why do you drink so much? She asks if it's about a lady. She mentions Julie London, who was a real singer at the time. If it's because of Julie London, she's not worth it. And it's the first moment where you get an idea that Jerry has feelings for Tom that go beyond a manager client. So Tom goes home and he puts on Julie London albums. 
And then Julie London is... Also, he gets booze. Oh, yeah. He, he gets I mean, more booze because Tom doesn't It goes without saying that Tom's going to always be drinking. <laughs> I mean, it's funny that they poke fun at it, but it's a serious issue. I mean, we take things way too seriously, but yeah, I mean, it is. The guy... The it's guy's, cartoonish alcoholism where he yeah. sees apparitions of Julie London in his house. Once again, a meta moment in this movie because Julie London is a real person, a real Playing singer. Herself. And she sings one of my favorite songs, Cry Me a River. I love her performance of that song. It's and she's ass, all through Kurt's house. He keeps seeing her. Haunted in a funny way. And Julie London was also one of these people who like straddled the line between singer and actress. She played Dixie McCall on Emergency and won the Golden Globe Award. I think it was in every episode of Emergency. <laughs> I was a big emergency fan, so I remember. I mean, but the Crimea River is, is is one of my favorite songs. It's beautiful, yeah. You know, and it's sad they play it for last, but it's it's sad. Yes. you know when you kind of when you break it down, if, if he loved her and she wanted to be with him in this movie, yeah. and he forced her to be a star. It's somewhat tragic, but you know they play it for laughs. The next day, Fats had them tailed. Mousy yes. tailed them. I guess Tom never told him the scheme because Fats is kind of like they basically went bar hopping. And so he's a little, little honked off about yeah. this. Their scheme worked because the front page of the newspaper, it, I imagine the gossip section, is all about Tom Miller and his new talent going from place to place, concert venue to concert venue the night before. And how everybody's enamored with Jerry. And the actual newspaper boy shows up to Tom's apartment to deliver him the paper. We didn't mention him earlier. <laughs> Barry. <but laughs> Barry. When Jerry first goes to Tom's, she asks the paper boy, yeah. you know, where does where does Tom live? Mm-hmm. Where is this place? And and when she walks away, the little kid whistles at her. He's like eight, ten years yeah. old, I'm thinking. He's very precocious, I guess would be the nice way, but it's downright creepy. But he shows up with the paper. He's like, hey, Tom, you know, you're here. And then Jerry shows up. And before that, I just have to point out, once again, these jokes about James Mansfield. So time to drink. Barry says, if she's a girl, I don't know what my sister is. And then two, he asks, as an eight-year-old, he asks Tom to represent him. Tom's reply is, sorry, Barry, I got my hands full. And Barry thinks about it. He's like, there's got to be an answer to that. I mean, once again, referring to... I know. It's, <laughs> I'm like, it's a little creepy that the eight-year-old is cracking these sex jokes. Way, way beyond his years. But Jerry shows up. Tom's like not quite sure. And she says, you know, I, I picked you up an hour early. He's like, we got to go to Fats's, the beach house where people get killed. That's what we know about this place. Jerry said, I, I came an hour early so we could go have a picnic. And she's in this yellow outfit. It's like kind of cool. Like back in the day when your swimsuit was part of another outfit, they go out to the beach yeah, there we go. I mean, Santa Monica Brew Works. The 310 California Blondale. It's been a hot minute since I've had this beer, but it's tasty. It's just the the right balance of like sweet grains. It suits this movie. It's yes. an easy drinker. It's it's just a spot on Blondale. If somebody ever comes comes at you with like an Imperial Blondale, yeah. tell them you did it wrong. <laughs> You know, because a Blondale needs to taste like, I always I, I always say that a Blondale is kind of like, it, it feels like well, that, what, like your great grandpa was drinking before they kind of started messing around with it too much. But it's like, it's just such a, it's a tasty, it's like classic kind of beer flavor. Exactly. Yeah, if we were going to a, on a picnic at the beach, don't be surprised if yeah. I roll up with a bunch of this. I, yeah. I'd be happy. Until the heat comes over and says, you can't drink on the can't beach. Drink on the beach. <laughs> I'm like, I'm doing a pretty good job of it. I think I proved proved you wrong. That's when you pull her into a coffee cup. (laughs) Why are you drinking coffee at the beach? 
<laughs> so no, they, they. I do not recommend that you do that. <laughs> I mean, I like to live under the idea of uh, I'd rather beg forgiveness than ask permission. There you go. <laughs> so they they go to the beach. She's got. She goes. I'm gonna go undress. And he's like, whoa! Yeah. But she just goes behind this tree, which hides nothing. It hides nothing. And basically it's just taken off it's the It's like skirt a skirt. Yeah. And she's got this... She made a whole picnic. Wonderful stuff. Fried chicken. Marry her, Tom. Well, yeah. I love, I love to cook, but if somebody was like throwing down the stuff she's throwing down, I'd be like, mm, okay, I guess I, the kitchen's no longer my space, yeah. you know? Start getting the idea that there's a little more going on here. Feelings are starting to be expressed a little bit. She doesn't want to be a star. This is when she really comes clean and says, I don't want this. This is what Fats wants. And Tom, sort of, the wheels are turning. He goes, I can't force this on her. He made a mistake at one point. Yeah. And he's like, I'm not going to do another mistake. When they show up to the Murdoch's estate, he tells Fats, he says, she doesn't want to be a star. And Fats is like, listen, you turned Julie London into a star. And everybody knew that she loved you and wanted to be with you rather than a star. So make her a star pretty low and Tom even says he's like that's pretty low because he does he brings up the Julie London thing and that's and he yells at Jerry because she's over at the grill cooking she has an apron on her and Mousy are there this is one of those moments you you realize Mousy is very sympathetic to Jerry's situation because Fats yells at her says take your apron off you're not going to be cooking and cleaning if you're going to be my girl you're not going to be a domestic at the end of the day of course, Tom ends up at a bar. <laughs> That's where he goes. Real quick, though, at the end of that, Fats, he vaguely threatens Tom. True. They yes. were shooting skeet earlier, and it's dark, and he's like, give me my gun. Yeah. There's a bailed threat to Tom that, you know what, don't even think about trying to screw this up. Tom ends a day at his favorite place, a bar, but instead of seeing the apparition of Julie London, you know, things have changed because he sees Jerry. And so you know his heart is now taken for Jerry. The next day, that a rehearsal hall, and once again, this point is to serve a couple things. One is to show Gene Vincent and his Blue Caps playing Bebop Alula, which is a very famous song. He was inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the Rockabilly Hall of Fame. He died, I think, in his 30s in Saugus, California. Once again, somebody who died young. But there's another person that had a big part in rock and roll history Absolutely. with that song. And then, of course, there's another sex joke because Tom asks, he's like, we need a room. And the person at the rehearsal studio is like looking at him, he's like, you know, to rehearse it. <laughs> yeah, because when people want to want to go have, you know, carnal relations, yeah. they always they, go, they to go to rehearsal. Studio. Exactly. It makes no sense. It's just a joke. And, of course, Tom's all business because he had that threat from Fats. But we find out a big reveal. Jerry can't sing for anything. Her voice is terrible. So bad that when she goes to hit a high note, she actually can break a light bulb. So Tom is just, he's laughing. He's like, I don't have to do anything. This woman can't sing. She's not going to be a star. He goes back and he's laughing. He's like, ah, Fats. (laughs) This woman can't sing. Yeah, but Fats. Fats is like, turn on the channel two. And they watch Eddie Cochran do 20 Flights Rock. And basically Fats says, he doesn't have a good singing voice. But look how famous he is. He's got an original sound. And Eddie Cochran is another one. He had 20 Flight Rock, Summertime Blues, Come On Everybody, something else. Come on, everybody. I first heard about Eddie Cochran. I had a Sex Pistols album 
and they covered, and so this is like growing up in the 80s, they covered Come On Everybody. I'm like, who originally wrote this song? Everybody. It used to be a big yeah. encore for Led Zeppelin. And if you go Summertime Blues, go watch the film of Woodstock, The Who Plays Summertime Blues. Yeah. Eddie Cochran is as influential on rock and roll as anybody. Yeah. Like you go back and, and see like that British invasion into the 70s into punk. Eddie Cochran. We all tried to be Eddie Cochran. Yeah, it was because Paul McCartney knew the chords to 20 Fight Rock that he became a member when John Lennon invited him in. Jimi Hendrix performed Summertime Blues. Brian Setzer from Stray Cats in the movie La Bamba. He played Eddie Cochran. He just such yeah. a influential on rock and roll history. Sadly, Eddie Cochran passed away at 21 in England in a car accident. The taxi driver. Taxi yeah. driver was driving too fast. He got thrown from a car. It was, I, I mean... So sad. But you get to see him perform uh, in this movie. And they kind of take a shot at him. Yeah, he's like, right. let, let's look at this guy. He's a classically trained yeah, voice, exactly. but he's got an original sound. Style over substance is what they're implying. Even though I think there's a lot of substance to these musicians, Tashlin is implying a lot through this. It's style over substance. That's where we're going. And he wasn't far off. We also find out Fats is a bit of a songwriter himself. <laughs> and where did he write all these songs, Michael? In, in prison? Yeah, the be pokey. Be <laughs> I mean, because they're all prison-themed. Rock Around the Rock Pile Ugh. is up there with my least favorite songs of all time. And he wrote other songs that, sadly, we couldn't hear this movie. One was, No Lights on the Christmas Tree Mother, They're Using Electric Chair Tonight, and I'll Get... No good behavior, baby, if I keep thinking of you. <laughs> I really wanted to hear those two songs sung by Edmund O'Brien. <laughs> I, I, I did, because Rock Around the Rock Pile is, I think it was sort of written as like a parody yes. of Rock Around the Clock. It's so bad. Tom apparently thinks like, this is a pretty good tune. So they take it to this like big band. Ray Anthony and his orchestra. It's like that classic like white dudes in yeah. the 50s kind of thing and they're singing that it. transition but, but, from swing and big band to rock and roll and what's interesting is that they found a use for jerry's talent jerry because in this song there's there's a mention of a siren and jerry is going to play the part of the siren in the song so she's just got one moment once again it's a cartoon moment because you see jerry's music sheets it's literally just one giant note on the music sheet. And when she does it, when they get to that point in the song, she does this, I can't do it, I cannot yeah. approach, no. but it's a high-pitched, like, a siren sound, I'm so sorry I did that. No. But as soon as she does it, she gets up from her chair and walks over to a refreshment stand. Another, like, very cartoony thing. Because the whole band's still playing the yeah, song, but the she only has one on. little part. Yeah. But this is going to be her big claim to fame. Yeah, this is how they're going to make her You're right. star. Very cartoony. She gets up. So many times you could picture, like, Bugs Bunny. Exactly. Doing this exact same shtick. But we also get Tom and Jerry just end up expressing their feelings. And she brings up the idea that maybe they could have Thanksgiving together. It just is pointless to pick apart this script, this plot too much. But you would think your boyfriend might want to spend Thanksgiving with you. And Tom is also going to be in Chicago. It makes no sense. Yeah, nothing about it makes sense. But it just gives us a chance to be, you know, see Jerry makes an entire turkey, like a 20-pound. It's a big turkey <laughs> for the two of them at her place. But all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. She's like, oh, classic Jack Tripper moment. Where you like, That's exactly <laughs> what I thought. Like, there were so many three-company moments in this. Because he's got this giant yeah. turkey, and she thinks it's going to be Tom, and it's not Tom. He's like, oh, boy. i got to hide this turkey. It's all the fixings—it's fat, fats and mousy. I'm just such a pig because I, I kept thinking, "Oh man, that food's wasted." I know. 
I mean, it was a lot of food just be hidden away. Yeah. So so Fats didn't realize that she made a Thanksgiving meal because he wants to take her out for a Thanksgiving dinner. But also, he wants Mousy. This is a scheme. Well, it's Fats's place, and there's a secret compartment behind the bookshelf. There's a little space back there. He gets Mousy into that space and wants him to record Jerry's telephone calls because he thinks something's up. There's there's soft talk. That's that was the first thing. They're talking. They're soft talking, which I thought was just a great term. So, Mousy's in there doing the recording. Poor Mouse has spent his Thanksgiving in a hidden compartment in his house. I mean, I kept thinking, how does he get out of there? Are there any facilities? What if he has to use the restroom? But it works because Tom calls and they have an expression of feelings and it's like very clear. And and meanwhile, we cut to Mouse. You're kind of thinking, oh boy. But you see Mousy and Mousy's tearing up as he hears them. And they're like these two lovers that they love each other. And I have to point out, Tom is in Chicago. He's trying to meet with Wheeler, the head of Wheeler Music Enterprises. Wait a second, where have I heard that name? Yes, before? where have we heard of Wheeler before? Is that wasn't he the guy that got fat legs? Right? Wheeler? No one put two and two together. And Tom's been dealing with Mr. Wheeler for years because he had signed Julie London with Mr. Wheeler. So this is not a big reveal. It makes no sense. Well, what Mousy does. And it's, you know, it's a really sweet thing he does. He edits it, and it's, like, really bad. I mean, he edits it so it sounds completely benign. Fats wants here, he said, ah, oh, did he call? Was there soft talk? And he's like, it's right here, you know. He listens to it, and it just sounds like a very mundane, hey, I'm here, hello, goodbye. So he leaves the room. And Mousy pulls out this giant cassette material. Yes. And burns the evidence. Yeah, yeah it was, I mean, it's just a silly moment. There's just so many silly, silly moments. moments. But I just kept going, let's get to the next musical act. Well, yeah. It was so much fun to see all of these, these bands play. Pretty diverse. Yes, it's all these bands where, as we're transitioning to rock and roll being this youth sound, there's all these different sounds that we're trying to take. Big band and jazz and swings and, and blues and Tin Pan Alley and say, okay, we're going to do something different with it. Yeah. Each of these acts has a component of that because we're back at Wheeler Music Enterprise in Chicago and you're hearing Rockin' Our Business by the Treneers. And Treneers were an example of this band that was started by these twins who had gone to college together. They started this band. Over the time, other Treneers would come in and still take over the band. So I think if you look at the Treneers now, I think they still, I, I don't know, maybe they're not active. I know the two original twins had passed away since since then. They influenced Bill Haley in the comments, The Shadows, Paul Revere and the Raiders. They just had a big impact. Once again, these bands had a big impact. Tom, he goes back and says, you know, this Wheeler guy, he's <laughs> he's the king of the jukebox racket, and, and Fats apparently has his own jukebox deal going on. And so he says, we gotta go to war, Mousy. When I think of gang war, you know, I'm thinking those classic gangster films. You go to war, it's like you got a bunch of guys. Fats and Mousy is it. Yeah, they're in trench coats and fedoras now, so you know they mean business. Sitting down at the bar, giving yeah. you serious looks. And telling every bar, basically, every concert hall, every bar that has a jukebox, you're going to take our jukebox now, not the Wheeler jukebox. <laughs> and then we get Jerry breaking down. She's in a wedding dress because yes. her and Fats are supposed to get married. And, and, and then all of a sudden, Rocker on the rock pile <laughs> just cuts in out of nowhere with her siren, and she breaks down. Fats. He's got second thoughts about you. You know, he goes, I love music so much. How can I be married to a broad that can't sing? And so it comes to a culmination at the Rock and Roll Jubilee. This is Jerry's, Jane Mansfield's, let's drink, 
Boom. Coming out concert. Okay. I've been wanting to talk about that. There's a full page. There's actually two full page ads. One for the the big event and then just a picture of Jerry. What was the plan? She makes a siren sound. You know what I mean? I don't get it. My take is Tashin was making fun. You don't have to have substance. You don't have to have talent to make it in this industry. You can make a sound and you can be made a star. As long as you have blonde. Yeah. By what you look like and this corrupt industry behind you that's basically managed by ex-gangsters. What a cynical, cynical way. And once again, this is just a showcase to show other music because you have... Fats Domino. Again, Fats Domino. Exactly. The legend. And he's got like this swinging great sound. He's I, playing I love Fats. Blue Monday. And between 1955 and 1960, he had 11 top U.S. pop hits. You know, he sold more than 110 million records. Again, you can't tell the story of rock and roll without Fats Domino. Exactly. And to see him so young performing, it's amazing to see in this movie. Exactly. He's just got this look that just like brings you in. You're just like, I'm going to sit here. I don't smoke anymore, but I'm going to take up smoking again and sit here and drink bourbon and listen to you all day. Exactly. This is awesome. And then you have the platters. The same thing. Oh, you know, America we all Vol- want to be the deep voice guy. Exactly. We all want to be the deep voice guy. <laughs> And once again, this is a band that had 40 charting singles on the Billboard Hot 100 between 55 and 67. I'm a you know, fan of those old vocal groups. Ex- I, I'm just there's something about them that I, I I grew up. I think my my dad listened to a lot of them. They're singing "You'll Never Know." Deep voice guy gets to say "You'll Never Know." And say the same thing. My my, awesome. my dad and mom, although they're they're seven years difference in age, my dad his music was this transition music where he listened to like Gary Puckett and the Union Gap, Eddie Cochran, Gene Vincent. My mom listened to the Beatles. So these bands are stuff that he had records of. We learned that Jerry could actually sing. And she sings her heart out to Tom rather than play the rock rock around the rock pile. <laughs> it's not a big part because it's a dub voice. It's not it's not Jane Mansfield of oh, the right. type of drink My drinking. Bad. She kisses Tom first, which I liked. And then he grabs her back and their the romance is now sealed. And we also find out that Mousy he comes clean. I lost you up on that recording. And Fats does this unbelievable thing where like suddenly he's like, he can't voice Jerry off on someone else fast enough. Yeah. He went from like, this woman's got to be a star. I'm going to marry her. She's mine. To like, he's, he's happy when Mousy says, yeah, they saw, they soft talked just like you figured. And he's, <laughs> he's happy that he had figured it out. But he's also happy that they're together because Tom runs into him. As Fats and Mousy are pulling up, and Fats basically says, "I'll be the best man at your wedding." I mean, it completely transitions. One eighty, he pulls a one eighty. That's so unbelievable. Wheeler shows up, and he's like, ah, "We're gonna kill you now." And Tom helps out, like keeps him from killing him. Tells Fats to get on stage. Fats is going, "You know, why would I get on stage?" And he said, "Because they're not gonna kill you in front of a whole crowd of people." Which, by the way. <laughs> Is wrong, <laughs> like way wrong. So he gets up there and he sings his horrible song, Rock Around the Rock Pile. And he's just, it's like mugging and like over the top. And I mean, I, I was like, I kind of hope they shoot him. <laughs> but they are. He's up there doing his uh, yeah. one rock, two rock. It's a terrible song. But the crowd is just completely 
Entrance, yes. Oh my God, they can't get enough of this. And and Wheeler and his guys are all on the side, and they are going to shoot him. Just aping about on stage, just making a spectacle of himself. But suddenly Wheeler looks, and he walks over to a kid and waves his hand in front of the kid's face, and the kid is like blank, just completely blank. Whoa, there's fats. This is a, a thing. Yeah, he realizes he can make money. The kids like him. And I'm almost thinking like a cartoon image of like dollar signs appearing over Wheeler's eyes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, no, don't kill him. We can make money off of this. Yeah, and, and I'm just thinking either the kids are just like, they're kind of trolling. Like it's an early <laughs> form of trolling where, where they like, we like this thing because it's so stupid. That's my personal feeling. I think Tashin was trying to say it's image over its substance. These kids have no taste. The kids have no taste. They're consumers of this rock and roll music that's... Yeah. Basically sweeping across the nation. You can put anybody up there. You can put them in these, you know, the type of suit that Elvis wore, swiveling your hips, singing rock and roll songs. And all these kids are going to buy their stuff. And this is how I can make money. I think he was being very pessimistic. Seriously <laughs> cynical. There's a lot of cynicism here. We bookend. We're back on the stage that we opened up on. Tom's back again. And he's addressing us, breaking the fourth wall. And then Jerry comes out. They have five kids now. Adorable. And then Fats comes out from the left. Because he's actually on a, pushing a stroller of one of those he's five push, kids. Pushing a stroller. <laughs> Man, he's all like, he's like the cartoon character again where he's all, oh, shucks. He's like, yeah. I'm just so happy to be here. And the yeah. kids are saying, you know, hey, will you sing for us, Fats? Yeah. Tom's, no, no, no. Fats is, oh, no, no, no. He's like, don't listen. I'll sing outside. Just wait for well, me outside. <laughs> but Tom tells him, don't sing. Make the kids buy a record. Make the kids buy <laughs> your record. Which is just great. So, I mean, that's the end of it. And, you know, I got to say, would you recommend this? So, I would recommend this. And one of the reasons why is a discussion I had with my own kids, who are preteen and teenagers, who really enjoy music. I would agree with you, Michael. This is not a traditional musical. Not this is I basically think. a showcase. That's a perfect term to use to show all these bands who had such a foundation of rock and roll history. And you don't get to see a lot of live performances when they're really young. So just for that aspect, to watch this movie, I think that's fantastic. The music's great. You can't help but tap your foot to almost every single song. So that point, and then it's a cartoon movie. This could have been a cartoon. It's silly. I think at a deeper level, I think he was really trying to say something about consumerism this idea of image, so more important than talent. It's interesting to think that they might have hired somebody with that attitude. I mean, <laughs> no, very, a very subversive it's, it, attitude. Yeah, it's, a, it's like, it, who is this, Werner Herzog? <laughs> it sounds like something Herzog would do. Where he's like, I absolutely despise everything about this, so I'm going to make the movie. I would say the, the only reason I would recommend it is because of the musical acts. Because it is something... That is important when you when you hear about all the people who were influenced. When you just hear the Beatles story yeah. about this specific movie, yeah. not just the musicians, but this but movie. seeing this movie and how it influenced them, because the story itself it's just bad. And I like Edmund O'Brien. <laughs> I do. That's a thing. The the Hitchhiker is a great movie. It's fantastic, and he was wonderful in it. I don't know about this one. This is tough. Jane Mansfield. I mean, I can see her in a lot of things. And I can see, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, I mean, just for the musical acts, it is important for certain reasons. But it has nothing to do with the fact that it's a, a good story or a well-told story. It has to do with 
turning on a camera and letting Gene Vincent be Gene Vincent or letting Little Richard be Little Richard. I mean, just listen for the, the theme song. The three M's. Marilyn Monroe. James Mans- Jane Mansfield. Mansfield. <laughs> the beer's that, getting to me. How's that, that 310, <laughs> how's that 310 California blonde treating you? You know? have Mammy Van Doren. These platinum... Platinum blonde. I'm not going to get this out. <laughs> so, okay. Now, this is our Jane Mansfield, and we've done a Mamie Van Doren. Yes. High School Confidential. Yes. And we, you know, we may have to try to find a Marilyn Monroe. Yes. B movie. B movie. I'm guessing she did one. I imagine she did. I would hope. Because we have to cover it. We have to do the three M's. But her outfits, her appearance, her look. And I have to give her, she wasn't given a lot in this movie. Just, we need you to act like a buxom blonde. But act I like thought Marilyn Monroe. She, yeah, I thought she did a decent job. I thought she was a little silly and funny. But I, that was a part she was given to play. I find that, it odd that they seem to think this was going to be like a, a trampoline for her. Because they didn't give her much to do. She just looked great in outfits. Curious to me that they thought this might be the platform to launch the Jay Mansfield brand. I think in the 50s, that look... That's what Hollywood wanted. And you, as you point out, there's a lot of actresses who were had that appearance. And then I think by the 60s, that look kind of wasn't exactly what Hollywood was looking for. I mean, Hollywood is very... You got uh, into the twiggy. Yes. You got into the much less shapely. There's always going to be a place for that look. Though. Yes. The Santa Monica, the 310 California Blonde, it's been a little bit since I've had this one. When I go to the brewery, they've got so much to try. I end up trying the other things. It's just a tasty pyramid. They're expanding slowly but surely. If you are in Southern California, if you're visiting the Los Angeles area, I, you will not be disappointed. They always, they have food trucks. They're great, they've expanded their outdoor seating. It's a wonderful spot to land. Grab a sixer of this, they've got other stuff to buy, and head down to the beach. Yeah, this was, this was great. I think it paired wonderful. No, it did. This, with this movie. Completely agree. So I think that wraps up the show. Please subscribe, like, and comment on the episode where you listen. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Check out our website. This is Beer and Beer Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael.